0: Welcome to a special edition of Context Beyond the Headlines. I'm Maggie John. While we continue to listen and learn from Indigenous people across this country. Today we're in Caledonia where a long-standing land dispute has disrupted this small town on and off for years. Coming up, I speak with Skylar Williams, a leader of a group who has set up a blockade here since July. And I also speak with Ken Hewitt, the mayor of Caledonia. But first, here's Susan Ponting with a look back at the history of Caledonia. Put your
1: thumb down and go away. Another example of uh, uh, OPP coming in here with uh, these violent acts of aggression against, uh, you know, uh, people that are just occupying their traditional territory. He blames the OPP, he blames the Ontario government, but deep down inside, this is a federal issue. And we're tired of it.
2: It's known as the Six Nations of the Grand River Land Dispute. The standoff in Caledonia is taking place about 60 minutes west of Toronto and is between the Six Nations and the Canadian government, each side claiming land rights. It dates back to the 1780s and the Treaty of Paris. Six Nations claim the land is theirs in perpetuity but it seems the land is perpetually before the courts. In the 1970s, the conflict erupted in the form of protests, blockades, and occupations. And ever since, all formal negotiations have broken down between everyone involved. Up for dispute is the construction of an on-again, off-again planned subdivision. This year, the dispute once again exploded among the land defenders of the Hoden Osani First Nations, who have joined in solidarity with the Wet'suwet'en and other First Nations. And despite being ordered by an Ontario court to leave, the land defenders are refusing. Today on Context, we continue our Indigenous People's Voices two-part special now with the central figures involved in this complex issue that isn't going away anytime soon.
1: I'm more than willing to to break bread with anybody, to have those conversations, to have that dialogue so that everybody understands what it is that we're here for.
3: Peace is truly what you're after. Then destroying the infrastructure that surrounds this community is not achieving that.
0: I'm on Mackenzie Road here in Caledonia, Ontario, kind of the centre point of this dispute. You see, on July 19th, 12 members of the First Nations of the Grand River moved on to that land directly behind me. It's called Mackenzie Meadows. They have renamed it 1492 Land Back Lane. You see, Foxgate Development purchased that land with plans of building a subdivision that would back right onto the reserve. Hence the protests. There have been run-ins with the LPP. There have been arrests and there has been a permanent court injunction prohibiting any stoppage of development on that land. But as you'll see in my interview with Skylar Williams, the leader of the group, all they want is a seat at the table. So Skylar, we're standing in this road between two pieces of land that have been in dispute for a number of years. Fifteen years. Fifteen years. Tell us why.
1: Lots of reasons, you know, and to to start off like uh, in 2006 uh, is the... Property directly behind you, which is uh, which used to be Douglas Creek, Douglas Creek Estates. Uh, it's now start It was kind of the site of the the reclamation that we uh, our first kind of stance to reclaim some of our traditional territory. And so that's been you know occupied by Six Nations people for the last 15, 14 and a half, almost 15 years now. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then directly behind me mm-hmm. is. Um, the Mackenzie Meadows development that's looking to see 1,400 homes uh, developed, uh, you know, concrete and asphalt for as far as you can see. Yeah. All in the name of progress. Yeah. You know, and for Six Nations folks, this, is, uh, this isn't this is what progress looks like. You know, progress for us is, you know, having a place for us as well as, you know, the deer and the foxes and the mm. coyotes to run around and, you know, like to let nature still be nature.
0: Yeah. What happened in July that was just the catapult that said, you guys said you have to do something about this?
1: Well, we had planned on coming here uh, prior to development starting. And so all the way from Argyle Street here all the way over to Mackenzie Road was just what you see behind me, which is, you know, farm fields and trees and a creek and, uh, and lots of wildlife running around. And they started over on Mackenzie Road right at the start of uh, the spring. Uh, right in the full swing of COVID stuff. And so for us to be able to respond in the midst of the pandemic was, uh, was difficult to say the least. least. And so yeah, for us to be able to make any kind of concerted effort toward putting a stop to development, uh, 2013, there was a, a big uh, Springfield homes came to our community and wanted to develop these 1400 homes. Our community told them no, and in a big, big way. They had community consultation meetings. There was lots of input heard from uh, around our community, and our community said no. Uh, Springfield Homes then walked away from the project and sold it to Foxgate in 2016. And, uh, and they started the process of, to develop it as well. And But instead of coming to our community with any kind of real consultation with our community, they came and had a uh, information night Put up some billboards, gave a five-minute talk, and then walked out the door, and that was what consultation looks like, apparently, in our community. And so, our, for us, to uh, uh, meaningful consultation, certainly for the development of any any kind of major development such as this coming up on the doorstep of our community, because this is this is the doorstep of our community. And so, for our community to be able to have the opportunity to be able to grow and thrive like every other city and town uh, across the country has been able to grow and thrive. The only ones that have gotten smaller are reserves. Mm-hmm.
0: So is this your land? Is this Six Nations land?
1: Uh, it is not part of the reserve anymore.
0: And so some people would say, if this is not your land, it should be up for development. What would you say to that?
1: If you could show me the documentation that this land was yours and bought and paid for, absolutely. I agree with you hundred percent. If you can show me where, Uh, our community benefited from the sale of this land in any way. I'm in, absolutely. I I wouldn't be here for 108 days if, uh, you know what, if they'd have shown me that on on day two, I'd have went home that day, but uh, that document doesn't exist. And so our community has spent, you know, 40 years researching all of this stuff and pulling out all the historical documentation to make sure that when we say this land is ours, we understand that fully.
0: So it's, as you said, 108 days, you've seen a lot. You've seen court injunctions, um, you've been arrested. Yep. Um, there there are OPP at the end of this road.
1: Yeah, that was closest. I've been to the OPP in quite <laughs> some time.
0: I, I just read recently that you've been told that you have to pay all of the legal fees now.
1: Legal fees plus damages.
0: Right, so why not just give up, Skylar?
1: You know what, and somebody asked me this question the other day too, is, like, are you planning on building a house here? Are you planning on like? is what, What's your plan? What's the what's your personal? What what do you personally look to gain from this? I said nothing. Like, I have a home. I you know I bought my house and I, I own property and I um, and it's all in reserve. And you know what? I I like for me personally, I don't have anything to gain. But my neighbor, you know, they don't have a lot of property, and so maybe their their kids or their grandkids, you know, maybe they need a place to. To be able to build a home one day, or to have a business one day, to farm one day, and if our community keeps because progress for us isn't just covering everything, isn't urban sprawl, you know that covering everything in concrete and asphalt. This is how we live, yeah. you know, and we've we've chosen to live that way. But as our population grows, mm. in that space to be able to have those that kind of life, where you know we live in relative harmony with. With, with, with nature and with the, the, the animals that are around us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like they need a place to be able to grow as well. And so for us, it it, it absolutely means that we're going to, you know, uh, hold fast on the land here and make sure that we're able to, you know, stay here and, and maintain our peaceful occupation of our territory.
0: There's been video of uh, violence of, you know, some of your group being violent towards the OPP and people saying, see, they're instigating. What would you say to people who see that video and think your your side is propelling the violence, you you guys are instigating the situation? Absolutely.
1: I mean, this is, uh, yeah, this definitely happened. The OPP put out their one-minute clip yeah, of a five-minute interaction that shows one side of it. Absolutely, that's what happened. You know, like, uh, what they forgot to mention was the four minutes... Uh, preceding that clip, uh, where they saw where they shot rubber bullets into a crowd of uh, people standing on on a parcel of land that doesn't have an injunction on it, that doesn't have, that isn't disputed anymore, that doesn't have anything to do with anything. And and so when that happened, yeah, our, our uh, some folks were were quite upset by by those rubber bullets flying into that, and and they were told to leave. Absolutely, that happened.
0: So how long do you see yourself being here? How long do you think this blockade will be here?
1: Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know. And our community needs to be able to make that decision. Uh, right now, the OPP is putting pressure on, on lots and lots of different parts of our community to, to uh, try and divide our community. You know, like this is you know, just in recent years, the last hundred of the most recent years anyways, like the governments and uh, police, RCMP before the OPP and the Brits before that, you know, have looked for every crack possible in our community, not just our community, but communities across the country to be able to divide our communities. Uh, They did that very well with the Indian Act and uh, uh, the institution of band council stuff, um, uh, arresting our hereditary chiefs at the time. And so, uh, when those uh, when those governments and those uh, police forces come in in the way that they do, uh, you know what? Like in terms of the barricades and all that, like our people have never wanted to see barricades here. You know, like when we went into land back, this was about a peaceful occupation of our territory. But we will protect our people, and whatever we need to do to protect our people, that's absolutely what we'll do.
0: What is a piece of this puzzle that you think Canada is not understanding, that the people that are watching who are just like, I don't get this. What are they not understanding about this situation?
1: That piece. That this is, we've been as peaceful as, like, it's been kumbaya by the fire for the last 108 days. Except for those little moments where the OPP come in here, Shooting rubber bullets at people, tasering people, dragging faces along the pavement—like this—is this this is the violence that um, not just our community of Six Nations, but I think people of color across the country have been dealing with. Certainly, indig- in, certainly in rural Indigenous areas, where um, you know this is why there's missing and murdered Indigenous women. This is why the uh, over-incarceration of Indigenous people is so high. Like this is, you know, like these are the, these are the issues. This is, this is what comes at the end of not dealing with those issues for as long as they have. And so our alienation from the uh, judicial process, whether it's uh, uh, seeing, you know, 25% of, uh, of all the jails and prisons in this, in this country filled with indigenous people, uh, or whether that's the, the absolute disgrace of, uh, you know, police, Uh, policing agencies across the country that have seen missing and murdered indigenous women go unsolved, unfound, like it's absolutely ridiculous Mm. and so to see these communities that have felt all of this hurt and trauma for so long, residential school, like our, our communities have seen all of this hurt and trauma for so long and this isn't you know 100, 200, 300 year old traumas, this is stuff that happened in my lifetime this is stuff that's still happening right now. And so when people talk about these, you know, historic atrocities that have happened, they're still ongoing. That genocide for our people is still happening. And so for us to say, well, you know what? Yeah, um, I, I do apologize to the community of, uh, of Caledonia for any uh, uh, inconvenience that they had to have to drive around. But at, like, our community has seen too much and have gone through too, so much that uh, I, I, this, is, this is what we have, have had to resort to in order to keep ourselves safe.
0: Stay with us just ahead. We get a greater sense of the history behind this long-standing land dispute and we talk to one of the key players of this conflict, Ken Hewitt, the mayor of Caledonia. Welcome back to our special on the Caledonia land dispute. Aaron Plant is a resident of Caledonia and has studied the history of land disputes between Six Nations and Canada. Aaron, there is a long history of the Six Nations of the Grand River in this Haldeman area. Tell me about that.
4: Thanks Maggie. So of course Canada has been home to Indigenous people since time immemorial, but the Haudenosaunee or Six Nations are relative newcomers to this part of the world. So during the American Revolution, many of the Six Nations had supported the British crown, and after the Americans had declared independence and successfully defeated the British, many of them were forced to leave the American territory. And as compensation for their valor under the leadership of Joseph Brandt, the British granted the Six Nations, or Haudenosaunee, six miles on either side of the Grand River. So that's really how they arrived in this part of the world.
0: And so land has been a part of disputes for quite a while from for the Six Nations and the county. Tell me about the history of these land disputes.
4: Yeah, so really from on the onset of the Six Nations arriving in Haldimand and in this area, there was conflict. The Haldimand Proclamation, which granted the Six Nations six miles on either side of the Grand River, was originally disputed by both the Crown and the Six Nations exactly how to measure that six miles and what was that going to look like. And over the time, so Joseph Brent, who was the chief at the time, or self-proclaimed chief, he began either selling or leasing lands to various settlers, and as a result, the land became smaller and smaller. And right away, there were disputes about, was he selling the land? Did he have the authority to even sell the land? He wasn't elected necessarily by the Indigenous peoples. He was chosen by the British crown. So although he played a very important role as a, as a Mohawk leader and a Mohawk warrior, it was a different type of relationship to the crown. So that land became smaller and smaller. And inevitably, because of that, re- conflict erupted, particularly in the early 2000s and again today. So whose land is it? I think that's the million dollar question, Maggie. I think at the heart of the conflict is that question. I think it really comes down to worldview and how do you answer that question. To some people, this land has been indigenous lands for time immemorial and it doesn't really change hands. And many indigenous people, particularly leaders, have a different concept of land ownership and transfer. Well, from a sort of a liberal democratic perspective as many sort of Europeans would have, it's not the same. So that really is the question, whose land is this anyways? And I don't think we're anywhere near finding out where we're going with that. So who are the key players,
0: you would say, in this particular dispute that we're seeing in 2020?
4: And really, the the players haven't changed much over the years. We have the federal government, we have the Six Nations Elected Band Council, as well as the Honestody Confederacy uh, Chiefs Council. Those are some of the most important players. But of course, we also have the provincial government, the Ontario Provincial Police, and Haldeman County. And what makes this dispute so controversial and so complicated is that for the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, they want a nation-to-nation relationship with the federal government. So although some people say, well, they're just a, a form of local government, they're not in their perspective. They are a sovereign nation. They've never linked to sovereignty and they want to be treated that. It's supposed to be a crown indigenous government relationship.
0: So how do you see this specific dispute being reconciled or finding some sort of solution?
4: I think really, Maggie, at the end of the day, it's too soon to tell. I think this is going to be an ongoing conflict. I don't think anytime soon this is going to come to an end. I think really what people need to do to deal with reconciliation is to know their history, to know how the Haudenosaunee arrived here, and to know how Europeans and settlers arrived in this area, and how, in the end of the day, no one's going anywhere. We're both going to be here for a long time. And finding a way to live in peace and finding justice is really essential.
0: One of the players in this land dispute in Caledonia from a local perspective has been the mayor of Caledonia, Ken Hewitt. He's in support of the OPP enforcement and the land injunctions. Here's what he had to say. Mayor Hewitt, what do you think about what's going on here?
3: Six Nations has been asking for uh, the federal government to engage. There is a governance issue on Six Nations that continues to be a roadblock to that engagement. Who do you speak to? Six Nations has an elected bank council that many do not subscribe to. They have a confederacy and and hereditary system that many do or don't subscribe to. And they don't have the ability to determine who should best represent them in this negotiation for a uh, amount of money that the federal government should be able to uh, put in a, a account, if you will, of trust that the members of Six Nations can ultimately see the benefit of.
0: So we just spoke to Schuyler a couple minutes ago, and he, he has said that Six Nations just wants peace, that they just want the land the way it is. They just want it to be peaceful. How do you respond to that, what he says is his desire and the desire of his people?
3: Well, I think it's clear to see that what's happening out here on the streets is, has not been peaceful. You know, despite whether we agree or disagree, uh, we all have uh, rules that we all subscribe to in society. That's what we, you know, that's what keeps society in, in, in check and control. A judge uh, heard uh, the claims made by Foxgate who has purchased land through the provincial title system that specifically says that that land is their land. Now, if there is a underlying claim in in monies that exists, well, that's not between Foxgate and the province and or the people of Caledonia. That's between six nations and the federal government. So if peace is truly what you're after, then destroying the infrastructure that surrounds this community is not achieving that it's angering the people and if peace is truly what they're after then they need to look within themselves to find who can best represent them so that they can sit at a table with the federal government and achieve that goal
0: and i think that's an interesting point that you make mayor hewitt about the judicial system of our country Um, i think any Indigenous group would say you're talking nation to nation and so how do you have a constructive conversation between Canada and what is a separate reserve on this land? How do you have that when they have a very different system and a different way of uh, conflict resolution?
3: Again, uh, I I don't dispute that Uh, but if, if Six Nations wants to engage in a nation to nation conversation Who's that with? Is it with the bank council? Is it with confederacy chiefs? Is it with men's fire? Is it with the clan mothers? Like who ultimately is going to represent six nations when there actually is a table to sit down at? So to sit here and cry for the federal government to come down here and pay attention at the expense of all these people locally who are experiencing this and say, we wanna hear from you. Well, that's great. but. But who is it that you want them to speak to? Who is it that you can trust that will best represent you? Because in the past, decisions have been made, and unfortunately, members of Six Nations have not been given uh, you know, the, the opportunities that were afforded to them through negotiations in the past. So trust is a big issue, not just with, with those outside of Six Nations, but those within.
4: Canada has been home to Indigenous people since time immemorial, but the Haudenosaunee or Six Nations are relative newcomers to this part of the world. From on the onset of the Six Nations arriving in Haldimand and in this area, there was conflict.
5: Well I believe that the church has a vital uh, role to play in this dispute. What better time for us as Christians to show our colours in the work of uh, reconciliation and healing and restoration. Sophia's in grade nine, and we've been following it on the news lately. And we thought, uh, you know, we should come out and have a look at it. We uh, we had a good conversation with him, and he was able to uh, express uh, the view of the of the of those who are protesting. And um, frankly, it makes a lot of sense.
0: Reverend John Postuma, thank you so much for joining us today.
5: Well, thank you for having me.
0: What do you see the role of the church being when it comes to these land disputes between? any First Nations community and Canada?
5: Well, I believe that the church has a vital uh, role to play in this dispute. I mean, in many ways that sometimes we as Christians are huddled in our own little uh, congregations without realizing that we have been sent by Christ to go out and to make disciples of all nations. And what better time for us as Christians to show our colors and as followers of Christ in the work of uh, reconciliation and healing and restoration. I believe that the church needs to come forward and say, this is a moment that we are responsible to pray for our communities. Mm -hmm.
0: You learned a lot uh, from the South African apartheid. Uh, uh, fight as well and have taken that back and kind of brought back some some key values that you think the church needs to lead by. What are those values?
5: Well the story of South Africa was one of bloodshed, of turmoil, conflict and uh, painful to watch this happening and especially when the church had a lot to do with bringing in apartheid that the church also saw the responsibility to deal with apartheid and out of the apartheid years came a confession of the church called the Belhar Confession that dealt with three basic Biblical principles. The principle of justice, of reconciliation, and unity. And when I was in South Africa for those three weeks dealing with the situation there and the Belhar, I realized that those same biblical principles apply to our situation here in Canada and in the Caledonia community.
0: What's your prayer for for this town?
5: My prayer is that we will continue to live peacefully together in harmony, in unity, and understand that we have differences, and yet our unity in Christ is so important. I know the pastors of Six Nations and of the Mississaugas of the New Credit, as well as here in um, Caledonia, they are all praying together that we maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And that's my prayer for Caledonia and this community.
0: Thank you so much, Reverend Posthuma, for joining us today.
5: Well, it's been a privilege. Thank you.
0: The dispute over this land is a long and complex one tied to a past filled with treaties and broken promises. And while both nations wait to sit at the table of resolution, one thing is for sure. There is a desire for peace and reconciliation. How we get there will be messy. But peace never comes easy. But we all are called to be peacemakers. WE HOPE YOU ENJOYED THIS SPECIAL EDITION OF CONTEXT BEYOND THE HEADLINES. FOR FURTHER INFORMATION, GO TO OUR WEBSITE, CONTEXT.SHOW. AND ON BEHALF OF THE TEAM HERE, WE WANT TO THANK THOSE OF YOU WHO HAVE SUPPORTED CONTEXT FINANCIALLY. IF YOU WANT TO FIND OUT HOW YOU CAN CONTINUE TO SUPPORT CHRISTIAN ANALYSIS ON THE NEWS OF OUR DAY, GO TO OUR WEBSITE AGAIN, CONTEXT.SHOW. ON BEHALF OF OUR TEAM HERE, THANKS FOR WATCHING.